Hello and welcome to this edition of Spotlight with Sandhya. Our guest today is the spoken word poet, award-winning essayist and author of two books, Pragya Bhagat. Pragya's work has been featured on the BBC and The Wire, The Huffington Post, amongst other publications. She's also performed at several festivals around the country, including the Under the Rain Tree Women's Cultural Festival in November 2019, which is when we got to know her. Her performance evoked very strong emotions amongst the audience. And I've become a big fan of Pragya Bhagat since then. Her work is at the intersection of body image, belonging, relationships, mental health, and all these skewed emotions that make us the flawed human beings that we are. But to tell you more about her work, I bring to you Pragya Bhagat herself, all the way from sunny Goa. Hi, Pragya. Hi, Sandhya. Thank you for having me. You've been away from India or home where you were born in Delhi from the age of 15. And it's very strange that for a person who's been a bit of a nomad, that your work centers around belonging. How do you explain that? Well, the things that confuse us are often the things that we end up mulling over um, and for me a lot of my work is an attempt to grapple with my reality uh, with issues that uh, I continue to struggle with both around me and inside me. Now I moved to America when I was 15 but before then I had lived in Lebanon, in Bulgaria, in San Francisco, in Belarus. And I'd never really felt a sense of, you know, being rooted somewhere, of, of having a home, because home was a three-year posting uh, for my father's job and then moving again. So it was always something that I was trying to understand for myself. And when people would ask, where are you from? It was a very confusing question for me because there wasn't really a place that I was from. Um, so belonging has played a big role in, in the kind of work that I create because it's just an attempt to understand the different dimensions, the different forms that this idea of home or the idea of belonging can take. Uh, and of course, growing up, I felt like I was the only one going through this experience, but now I see that um, people don't have to live in one place to have a sense of belonging. Um, similarly, people don't have to live in multiple places to feel a sense of like being uprooted. Um, so it's or just an attempt to, to understand yeah. and, and poetry is one way of doing that. Yes, you know, yeah, exactly. people can feel alienated yeah living in their own community and people can feel connected to the whole world by just traveling around to different cities and different countries yeah. like you have done. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the interesting thing that I realized is when you did come back to India as an adult, you came back because you wanted to help the victims of the 
a Bhopal gas tragedy. How did that uh, come into play? So the year was 2000 and in 2006, I had just graduated with a degree in biology from the University of Texas at Austin. The plan was to go to medical school and become a doctor and do my NRI parents proud and like live the American dream. Right. Um, but at the same time, when I was living in Austin, I'd, I'd been a part of this organization. It was an NGO called the Association for India's Development. And through that organization, uh, these bubbles that privilege had put me in were shattered. They didn't just burst. These bubbles were just like exploding all over the place. So I became quite active in the um, International Campaign for Justice in Bhopal, which is a coalition of different students groups and uh, professionals, all volunteers getting together and raising awareness for and raising funds for the survivors in Bhopal. Now, I just graduated and I wanted to take some time off. Uh, I wanted to go to Bhopal and work with the survivors and see what it was like on the ground. And that experience really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, for one, I was able to see how people's movements had so much power and they had the ability to create a sort of like sustainable change, not these you know, short-term gratifications right. that we pursue but something that was more fundamental and meaningful so that's what led to me uh, abandoning plans of medical school uh, and mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do in India but I knew that one I had to move to India and two I knew that I had to do something to understand the reality of the most marginalized um, before I chose what to do about it. I needed to know what it is that I was getting into. So in 2007, I left Bhopal, went back to the US. I worked as a science teacher for two and a half years, saving up some money. Um, I taught science to sixth and eighth grade standard students. And then I moved to India and I lived in a village in Rajasthan for six months. Oh, nice. I got my master's in social work in Dalit and tribal social work. So, and then I worked with Teach for India in Hyderabad as a teacher trainer. So these were all attempts to understand this reality that I had been, like, like you said, alienated from uh, for all of my life. But in many ways, this understanding was very crucial to me, like finding my place in this country, which was supposedly home, but had never felt like home. And did it, it take you to a place where you could finally identify with India? No, <laughs> it didn't. Okay. It, was, it was a notion that I had in my head right. uh, that if I were to do A, then it would mm -hmm. be B. So mm -hmm. if I were to move to a country full of brown people, I would feel like I belonged. Or okay. if I were to you know, move to uh, a village, I would get to understand this reality. But what each of these experiences taught me was that uh, I am very wrong in most of my okay. assumptions and it also sort of allowed me to like embrace this adaptability that had become almost second nature to me because I had always been moving. So there was this curiosity about, about different communities, different cultures. So instead of saying, all right, I'm going to call this home now, I, I thought, why not just explore and ask questions and try to understand? And, and do something with that understanding. And it just so happened that that something ended up becoming writing. Uh, 
um, and that's that's what I'm doing now. I want to tell our viewers about this very unusual condition that you have, and you've had it for quite some time now, misophonia, right? Mm -hmm. This is a condition where certain sounds can trigger right. negative emotions, thoughts, and physical reactions. And uh, Pragya has been dealing with all this apart from her feeling of alienation and trying to forge a sense of belonging to the place of her birth. So I think it's a very, very big challenge that you've been dealing with, Pragya. For me, I remember when I was in school, you know, the most irritating sound was the squeaky chalk on the class board. So I can not even begin to imagine what it must be to be in this delicate position of constantly watching out for normal sounds. How have you coped with it, Pragya? And has writing in any way been a way of dealing with it? Has it helped you deal with this? Writing has been such a big support in mm -hmm. living with misophonia. And I, I say living because it is a part of my reality. And I have no choice, you know, wake up and, and right. have it stare at me in the face every day. And it's, it's in a way, it's become a part of who I am. Now, you, like you rightly explained, misophonia is this um, condition. It's a neurobehavioral condition where basically in the brain, there are intersections at different points where different senses cross and for me the sense of sound is very closely um, intersected with emotions and with feelings so there are certain sounds which act as triggers that stimulate my fight or flight response mm -hmm. and in those situations um, when I was younger and this would happen I didn't know how to deal with it like sometimes I would just start screaming sometimes I would run out, sometimes I would bang my head against the wall. But as I got older, and in fact, in the past few years, when I discovered that I am not alone um, in living this way, I've just started talking more about it through my writing, but also just through conversations with people. Talking about it normalizes it. And then it no longer becomes an issue of, you know, mental health, mm -hmm. which is put under this umbrella which some people are like very uncomfortable with and some people are more comfortable mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. but it also just just having those conversations then allows people to be more empathetic towards um, others whether they have misophonia or not so I think through my work and just through conversations with family with friends and with strangers I, I want to normalize this notion of like the way that we talk about our physical health, right? We say, right. oh, I have a knee pain or I have a headache today. I, I want misophonia or any other um, mm. mental struggle that people go through to be just as normal. Um, and writing is an excellent way to do that because through writing, we're able to tell stories. And what better way to connect to people than through stories? Completely understand the difficulty you must be facing when you have these recurring episodes because right now because of the lockdown we have enjoyed a lot of calm and bliss here in Bangalore and I'm sure all over the world people have experienced that but it's already we are beginning to feel the effects of normalization with the lockdown being relaxed so I think all of us need to tune in yeah. to be more empathetic and more careful and more sensitive to other people Generally, it's not just the physical distancing or the hygiene. I think we should also be careful about how we impact our behavior and our habits impact the people around us. I think it's a very good and valid point to make at this point of time. 
right? No, I am coming back to your poetry and your writing. It was only recently that you decided to merge your teaching as well as your poetry, right? And you started doing right. this poetry writing workshop. Have you mm -hmm. started doing it only now? I mean, after you moved to Goa, or have you done these uh, workshops earlier? It had never really occurred to me before to combine these two things. And the lockdown has in a way like enabled me to do this because now people are sitting at homes and they want to learn. I am also learning, like I'm learning how to become a better poet and a better performer. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to share what I know and, and to do it with a group of people who are also hungry for a community and hungry for like a way of motivating each other and, and working with each other. So I, even though I have been a teacher and I have been a teacher trainer, um, this is the first time when I'm doing this sort of thing where I'm combining my love for teaching and I'm combining my love for poetry into, into this, this idea, these online workshops. I have uh, facilitated uh, workshops before, again, with the same organization I'm working with now. Uh, but it's, it's different. It's different when it's online because these are individuals who I meet for to uh, four hours a week and it, in some ways it's like the highlight of our day because or the highlight of our week because you know we're working on our pieces and then we're learning something new uh, we're asking questions and 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 it just this environment of like a classroom which is not you know your typical teacher student relationship but it's more of like a we're on this journey together and I'm just facilitating that experience. I really like that. Uh, and I want to do more of that uh, because it also pushes my knowledge and my skills and my mindset. So I, yeah, we're really glad. Um, this is one of the, the gifts that the lockdown has given me, I think. Wonderful. So if anyone wants to enroll for your workshop, where do they go? Where do they find out more information about your workshop? So there's this website, uh, Bound India key website. You can just go on their website and see what online courses are available. Uh, you can also reach out to me um, on Instagram. My handle is Bhagat Pragya. Not just with me, but there's so many different things that are being offered during this time, whether it's through Coursera, through the International Writing Program. I think this idea of learning is something we can really latch onto during this time, whatever our passion is or whatever we didn't think we liked and we are interested in exploring. I think if not now, then when? The universe is saying slow down and take a step back. So this is, this is the best time to be learning. I think so. I think this is a way that we have to tap into our passions and embrace who we are. It's not necessary to unleash it on the world. We can just do it for ourselves. I think and our people who are closest to us, they are the ones who matter right now. And I think finding solace in, like you said, slowing down and feeling the peace and quiet and rejoicing in it. Less is more kind of a feeling. That's wonderful. And now I have a request. Would you perform poetry for us? Pick any poem. I like all your poems. So. I, I, there is a piece that I sort of thought I'd like to share with you all. Um, and to give you some context. So while the lockdown has been about stepping back and taking stock of things. 
um, there's also these some obvious, some subtle, like political undertones in in what we say and what we do and what we believe. So I, I wrote something recently that uh, tries to capture this sentiment. So the title of this piece is The News is Good. There is good news to be had today. The news is good. We get to touch childhood. Sita in her silk, Ram with his man bun. The streets become quiet when God is watching us and we are watching God. The virus has retreated. Our nation's leader, blessed be his name, clanged and burned his way through death, wielded weapons of metal and melting wax, opened his ribcage, sharpened ends of bone, killed darkness with darkness, hate with hate. We thank him for reminding us of our greatness. Let our progeny remember he told us to wash our hands. The news is good. 129 residents of Worli were released from quarantine today. Health workers lined the side of the road, clapped for the prodigal return of neighbors. Palms of glass that tinkle and grate and chime and slap each other and slap ourselves and hide under beds and hostel ends because the silence is so loud, no one hears a scream anymore and dogs eat fungal rice while women nurse their bruised cheekbones. And through the clapping and clanging, we cry more than we used to. And I don't understand how you survive on smiles and hashtag good news, how you advertise your hashtag comfort food when chapped souls clamber for days and hunger becomes more important than watching God becomes the new Holocaust, becomes a Bible. Thank you. I like the poem. It is brutal. It is frank. Thank you, Pragya. And uh, thank, thank you, you all for watching this episode of Spotlight with Sandhya. And see you on the other side. <laughs>